Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nations Wealth, and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining. I think it's meeting people where they are, being able to embrace nuance and find storytelling that includes everyone and doesn't vilify people, I think is important. And brands tend to act that way because they tend to act in their self-interest and I want to address large numbers of people. Hi, folks. When you think of advertising and its role in climate change, what do you think of? I'll confess the first thing that comes to mind for me is the fossil fuel industry's multi-billion dollar campaign to discredit climate science, deliberately confuse the public, and delay climate action. Not too good. But of course, like every industry, advertising has a role to play in accelerating climate progress. Advertising creatives have storytelling skills that can help distill complex information shift attitudes, and accelerate adoption of climate solutions. And at a more basic level, the narratives that capture our attention and gain currency with our collective thinking play a powerful role in influencing corporate agendas, policymaking, and voters. So don't count advertising out. Today, I'm joined by Blake Harrop, president of Wyden Kennedy Amsterdam. Whether or not you know it, you're familiar with Wyden Kennedy's work. They're a small creative firm with a big reputation and they've been doing some genuinely interesting work related to climate. In our conversation, we talk big picture about the advertising industry and how it needs to evolve, and also what we can learn from European countries' effective climate communication. We also get specific and talk about some of Wyden Kennedy's recent projects and how they demonstrate advertising's potential as a climate ally. Lots to learn about and ponder if you listen with an open mind. Here we go. Hello, Blake. Welcome to Invested in Climate. Hi, Jason. Nice to be here. Blake, where are you dialing in from today? So I am dialing in from my home city here in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Fantastic. Well, beautiful city and probably gorgeous this time of year. And you are the president of Wyden Kennedy Amsterdam. Let's get started first with some quick context. Wyden Kennedy is an advertising firm, and we'll get into your climate work in a bit. But first, tell us briefly about the firm's history and what it's known for. So Wyden Kennedy is an independent advertising agency founded in Portland, Oregon, and we are creatively driven. So within the ad industry, you have companies that buy and sell media, you have companies that create the actual messaging and create direct marketing messages. Wyden Kennedy is famous for doing 
what we refer to as sort of upper funnel, like the big picture messaging. Our most famous piece of work, perhaps, is the tagline, Just Do It, that we wrote for our first client, Nike, and they remain a client today. We also work with a wide range of consumer goods companies around the world, and we have 10 offices, the original office being in Portland, Oregon, and the first international office being Amsterdam, which was founded in 1992 and is the office that I'm responsible for. Great. Well, coming from the world of design previously, definitely very familiar with Wider and Kennedy and stellar reputation for its creativity. Though, Blake, I'll confess, I'm surprised we're having this conversation. Your team reached out and suggested we do an episode on the importance of advertising for addressing the climate crisis. Let's start there. Why does advertising matter? Clearly, advertising is part of the consumer economy and is responsible for shaping consumer decisions and driving consumption. So as such, it's part of the problem. We understand that there are issues of overconsumption in the world, and that's part of the problem that governments and companies and individuals are trying to solve. At the same time, because the industry is part of the problem, I feel that it needs to take responsibility of the part that it can play. And some of the skill sets that exist within the advertising industry, such as storytelling, such as taking complicated concepts, such as a company, and distilling that down to a short message that is digestible in a short attention span within an ad break. These are concepts and skill sets that I think are really helpful for communicating some of the difficult nuances of climate solutions. And that's something that I'm personally passionate about and is something that I found Wyden Kennedy has been quite successful in using in our work. And as such, I feel that this is something that I want to talk more about as somebody that's part of the industry. I want to talk about this. I want for people that are interested in climate science and climate solutions to know that the communications piece is something that there are companies that are trying to address. And I think the more that the advertising industry takes climate change seriously and educates itself around climate solutions, the more positive a role we can play in making sure that consumer decisions are pointing in the direction of real solutions. Great. Well, Blake, as you mentioned, influencing people's thinking clearly is important. And on a whole, it's still worth asking if advertising is doing more harm than good. Ultimately, advertising is usually about selling consumption, as you mentioned. And as a case in point, and just an example of what's really valued by the advertising industry, recently, and you probably know this example, the firm called Bartle Bogle Hegarty recently won the Effectiveness Award, which I understand is one of the most prestigious honors in advertising, and it was for the effectiveness of their campaign for Audi, the automaker. Controversy was then sparked, however, when two executives from another competing firm estimated that the carbon emissions of the 130,000 Audis that BBH helped sell came to over 5 million tons of CO2 in terms of their emissions, which is roughly on par with, say, the annual emissions of a country like Uganda. So I like this example because it's a reminder of the global economy that is yet to transition to more sustainable options like electric vehicles and how consumption, almost no matter how you do it, is fueling emissions. And it's not consumers' fault. We all need stuff. But should we really be lauding an industry that often promotes consumption in this context? I think you're absolutely right. And certainly the ad industry is far from earning the right to be lauded. I think At the same time, there remains a large global market for combustion engine vehicles 
And there also exists markets for EVs. And there are an increasing number of companies that are entering that space and providing more sustainable, more climate-friendly solutions as we look at autonomous driving, as we look at alternative fuels. And making sure that the skill sets that advertising agencies have are being deployed in service of the sustainable solutions, I think is a really important thing for us to talk about. And I think the fact that in the example you gave, clearly advertising has worked and with some really unfortunate side effects in this particular cut of the data. At the same time, as companies start to develop more viable, sustainable solutions, then we want it to be able to move as quickly as possible in the direction of pointing consumers towards those solutions and making sure that consumption is the sort of externalities, the unwanted externalities of consumption are being mitigated by faster adoption of the more climate-friendly options. So I completely agree. The advertising industry has not earned the right to pat itself on the back by any means, but the skill sets, I do believe, can be helpful. Is it a question of how the industry rewards success or what it considers success? Are there opportunities to change that sort of perception that effectiveness is just selling things no matter what the impact is? And are there conversations within the industry to create that sort of change? I think the majority of advertising awards organizations now have awards for issues like social impact and for climate action. So this is something that you're seeing advertising creatives being rewarded for. You're also seeing there are CSR groups within organizations that have or chief sustainability officers that themselves need to communicate the good things that their companies are doing. And those companies are buying advertising services as well. So there's an economic incentive and there's a recognition incentive because these awards are how creatives grow their careers within our industry. So these things are, I think, broadly positive. Now, it's also worth noting that if left to their own devices, these well-intentioned initiatives could also create bloat and people flooding into this space with climate messaging that could translate into greenwashing. So this is another thing that I think is sort of one of the pitfalls of so much change happening so quickly in the industry. But the incentive for agencies to step into this space definitely exists. Well, thanks for that, Blake. And clearly we could say that not all advertising firms are equal when it comes to their role in addressing climate change. Your firm has recently become a B Corp. Tell us what that means in terms of your commitment to climate. So Widen Kennedy Amsterdam, the office where I'm based, we certified as a B Corp as a single office in 2021. And earlier this year, Widen Kennedy certified globally as a B Corp. So that doesn't mean by any means that we deserve a pat on the back either. The initial intention in certifying was, in fact, we'd done some work in the sustainability space as an agency. Our workforce was very, we'd invited Extinction Rebellion to come in and talk to the agency. A lot of our workforce were members themselves of Extinction Rebellion and were active in the climate activism movement. As a company, we felt that there were some good things we were doing. We also were aware that there were some things that we probably needed to improve on. And the B Corp certification process was intended as a way to get third-party analysis on where are we falling short. If we could identify where we were falling short, then we can better address those problems. 
And there were plenty of areas where we were falling short in terms of how we measure our scope two emissions and a whole range of other things. However, we did actually certify. And what that means is that there's this third-party entity, the B-Lab movement that have given us a certain score that puts us in the the community of brands like Patagonia and and Ben & Jerry's ice cream of being a company that shares a commitment for purpose as well as profit. But in terms of our sustainability commitments, I think, honestly, it means that we probably have a little more scrutiny. We've come out and said we're a B Corp. So our employees, our clients, the industry sort of will hold us to a higher standard. And I think that's fair and reasonable. And I think some of that pressure is helpful because, as I said, we certified, but we're by no means perfect. And the score you get as a B Corp when you certify is at a certain level. We'd love to improve on that score. But it does mean that the incentive for us to retain a commitment to climate action remains in place. And I think that's a good thing for our company. That's great. Blake, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Clean Creatives Pledge. It's simply a pledge that many advertising and PR professionals are taking to not work with fossil fuel companies, recognizing really how deceptive those companies have been throughout their history and how they're still battling climate science, misleading the public and fighting tooth and nail to slow the transition to renewable energy. Over 850 firms have taken the pledge. I don't see Wyden and Keddie on the list yet, but also I'm glad to say you're not on their F list of creative firms working with fossil fuel companies. Would Wyden and Kennedy work with fossil fuel companies in the future? I'm certainly not looking to have our company work with a fossil fuel company anytime soon. That said, where we try to place our focus is on where we can have the biggest impact and I think that our energy is best placed going to the places in the energy ecosystem where people are having the most positive impact and then trying to work with those companies to create higher demand for their services. So signing a pledge, I think, is great. I think there are individuals that can sign this pledge, and I think we have many of our staff that have. I'm interested in being open-minded around where the solutions can come from, and I also represent a company and a workforce that have their own ideas. So I'm never in a position where I'm sort of making a unilateral decision. I see my job as being helping select the opportunities that our people, the creative people working at Wyden Kennedy will be most excited to work on. I'm pretty sure if I tried to suggest working with an oil company today, I would have a mutiny on my hands. So that's why I say we're not looking to work with any companies in the fossil fuel space anytime soon. However, there is a part of me that wants to acknowledge that there are where the problems occur, we also need the solutions to exist. I was very inspired reading about the work of Engine Number One, the hedge fund that has moved from being an activist to being a investor that got on the board of ExxonMobil and forced change by having a seat at the table. I want to be open-minded about where solutions can exist and figure out how we can amplify consumer demand for those solutions where there's real action being taken. Thanks, Blake. We've been speaking really at a high level, so I'd love to turn to some examples of your work. I know you've developed several really compelling campaigns with very clear sustainability objectives, and it's hard to choose from them all. So let's do this. Why don't we each pick a couple of examples that stand out to us? I'm happy to go first. I'd love to hear about your work with the Fortescue Future Industries and also with Google in Germany. Want to start with those two? And once we discuss them, perhaps you can pick another two that stand out to you. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, let's start with Fortescue Future Industries. So FFI for convenience sake. So 
Fortescue is actually a mining company. The founder of the company, Andrew Forrest, came to Wyden Kennedy a few years ago because he had started this new company, FFI, that was exclusively focused on the development of green hydrogen. And coming from the commodities business, he was an incredibly successful commodities businessman, but had actually never worked in the world of consumer goods and brand development. So helping develop demand for green hydrogen is an ongoing journey, as is the development of the science behind it itself. But the role that Wyden Kennedy played was helping Fortescue develop a proposition around green hydrogen and take that proposition to COP, for example, to the United Nations Climate Summit and to help the team at FFI with the communications when they go around the world trying to get governments and heads of state to adopt some green hydrogen energy practices. So it was really trying to apply that same mindset of if you have a small amount of someone's attention, how do you get a clear message across to your audience? And the tagline that we developed for them was the power of now and the notion that green hydrogen in a prototypical sense is a viable solution. But in order to achieve that transition, the work has to start today. So the sense of urgency and the commitment that Fortescue were making to this was behind all of that messaging. You also asked about Google Germany. So I can talk a little bit more about that. Google came to us two years ago, and they had a suite of solutions that they were looking to roll out that were around sustainable choices that consumers can make using Google products. So integrated into Google Maps were transportation routes that had a lower carbon footprint, charging stations for electric vehicles, shared bicycle rental locations. Google had integrated a large amount of climate solutions into the user experience, but again, needed to communicate this to consumers. So they piloted the rollout of this in Germany because Germany is a market where there's a very high level of climate literacy and consumers are very interested in climate-friendly solutions. So we were trying to find a way to help consumers start adopting these solutions. And people are busy. When they go on Google, they're not looking to spend extra time. Part of the wonderful power of Google is its simplicity and its immediacy. So again, we needed to find a simple, clear narrative to get the story across of how these solutions work. There's also a very high degree of cynicism in Germany for messages from big consumer companies, and particularly from large American internet companies. So the line that we came up with there was every decision counts. And it was an acknowledgement of, look, if you take the slightly like more carbon neutral path to work on your commute, we acknowledge this is not solving the climate problem, but this is a small step that can be taken that does make a difference. Telling that story through the communications was how Google rolled out this platform across Germany. So again, with all of these programs, we work as the ad agency, we try to really understand the solution the company's offering and then find a way to distill that down to language that a consumer is going to be willing to pay attention to for 15 seconds in the ad break before they hit skip ad before the YouTube video. So those are a couple of examples where we try to sort of point the consumer in the direction of the solution. Great. Well, thanks for sharing those. What about for you? What stands out? It's your turn to point to two examples. Cool. So perhaps one of the most exciting 
projects that I've worked on in the sustainability space was a few years ago, we were approached by a Danish energy company by the name of Dong Energy, D-O-N-G, which I had heard of before and always thought was a hilarious name. It's memorable. It's memorable. I don't mind sharing with you that when we were approached by them, part of me felt, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to help this company because they have the most memorable brand name I've ever known to begin with. But as it turns out, Dong Energy stands for Danish Oil and Natural Gas. And this company had committed to divesting itself of all of its oil and natural gas assets and were going to reposition themselves as a sustainable energy company, which they had decided already that they were going to name Orsted after Hans Christian Orsted, who was a pioneer in electromagnetism. So the company approached us and said, we have decided we want a full brand communications launch and we are interested in speaking to Wyden and Kennedy. So we worked with them on all of the launch communications and storytelling and the positioning of the company to its investors and its employees and its customers around the world. One of the really interesting things that came out of that experience was Orsted are a predominantly a wind energy plant provider. So they provide the full turnkey solutions for building out offshore wind farms. In Denmark, they're an energy provider as well, but that's only in Denmark. So we did a mixture of consumer research to understand the stakeholders that we would be communicating to. And one of the key things that we discovered through this research was that in Denmark, people appreciated sustainable energy, but their appreciation of sustainable energy is so far down the stack rank list of priorities when people sign up for an energy provider compared to price. And the reason for that is that when the average consumer signs up for their utilities bill, that's an invisible choice that they make in the privacy of their own home. And the ability for advertising to shape that opinion is somewhat limited. The only way that you can actually change people's hearts and minds is by trying to meet them where they are and finding something that is a more common ground value. So what we worked on with Orsted was this concept of love your home, which was an acknowledgement that home being the planet that we all inhabit is something that's important to protect, which is why Dong Energy have made the change they've made and become Orsted. And that's the journey that they have committed to. And that is maybe something that's worth believing in. So again, it's trying to find the storyline that people can care about. And this transition is written up in Harvard Business Review as I think one of the most important energy company transitions of the last decade. And it's interesting, I applaud Orsted for how they brought all stakeholders along on that journey by finding this narrative and driving that through. The other example I'd give that's perhaps a less obvious one is Corona. So Corona the in the era of the virus. <laughs> yeah, the beer. Thank you for that clarifying question. Corona, the beer in America is distributed by Constellation Brands outside of the US is distributed by AB InBev. Wyden Kenny Amsterdam worked with Corona outside of the US. So the ads that your US listeners will have seen featuring Snoop Dogg is different from what I'm about to talk about. But outside of the US, Corona is known similarly as a beach beer. There's a couple of problems with that. One, going to the beach has become with low-cost airlines, it's a more accessible and therefore slightly less aspirational concept than it used to be. And secondly, going to the beach is a seasonal experience. So for a beer company, that's limiting. And when 
Corona, AB InBev came to us. They said, look, we want your help to be less cyclical. We want to position the beer around something bigger than just the beach. And they also said to us, by the way, we do these beach cleanups and we distribute beers and we pick up plastic and we feel like that's a good thing. But two problems, it's like only during the summer. And secondly, we kind of know that the beach is dirty like just a few days later. We know that it's like maybe a little bit performative. And I really credit them for acknowledging that because what we did was we helped reposition Corona around the concept of protecting the outside. We had the tagline, this is living. And the concept behind that was outside we come alive. We had a consumer insight that 95% of people's time is spent inside and that people kind of want to be out in the world. As part of this repositioning and the new tagline and the, the campaign rollout, we connected Corona with Parlay for the Oceans, who are an ocean plastic company. And we commit to a more ongoing program of ocean cleanups, working with this third party that's actually an expert in the space. We also co-developed products with Parlay. And as part of that commitment, there was additional pressure on AB InBev to remove plastic from their own supply chain so that they had more credible claims that they could make. So it created a, a sort of a bit of a virtuous cycle of additional commitments that the company made. So starting in a less obvious space, you sort of wonder what role can beer play in climate change. I'm quite proud that this small pivot in the messaging actually resulted in some additional changes made through the supply chain as well. Well, Blake, thank you. Some great examples ranging from using technology to find more sustainable routes for transportation to switching energy sources and to cleaning up and taking care of natural environment. It strikes me and it's exciting to me that sustainability seems to be a selling point in Europe. In the United States, however, that's not always the case. Often sustainability messaging raises concerns for American consumers that they're going to pay more, that they're going to pay a premium and brands often don't lean into sustainability as a result. How do you consider the pros and cons of sustainability as a selling point? One of the things that we realize is that there are some examples of companies that really position themselves clearly around sustainability. And maybe Patagonia is one of the good examples in the consumer goods space. Actually, one of the first B Corps I worked with as a client was Ben and Jerry's, and they source all of the milk that goes into their ice cream that's distributed in North America comes from independently owned dairy farms in Vermont. So sustainability is part of their brand architecture. But the way that Ben and Jerry show up in the world is you get a sense that they're a company that are good for the world, but maybe the sustainability is only one part of their branding. And that's partly because if you're about to have movie night as a family and you're at the Kroger's or wherever and you're looking for a pint of ice cream, there are different things that are driving your decisions. And I think one of the important thoughts to hold true as a marketer is you have to meet people where they are. And there's a tendency, I think, in the last few years, people have read headlines that consumer research indicates that Gen Z consumers are interested in making more sustainable choices. And that data is true. It's also true that people will make decisions based on their budget and based on what product best fits their needs. So sustainability can be part of your claim, but it's rare that it's the entirety of your claim. And when it is, it means that you can be disrupted by a superior provider that can continue to provide the same level of sustainability, but other superior benefits. Maybe an example of that would be 
Prius, to me, I didn't work on this, but it felt like it had a, quite a pure sustainability positioning where Tesla feels like a brand that says you can have your cake and eat it. You can have incredible design, incredible performance, a great brand, and it's good for the environment. So I think that sustainability does play a part in the decisions that consumers will make. But I think that it's important to try and make that work for the consumer on their terms and make sure that we're not greenwashing people or we're not browbeating them into trying to make a decision based on ethics and morality alone. I think we have to acknowledge that the consumer will make the decision based on their own needs and therefore packaging this and articulating it in a story that has maximum impact is, I think, the correct approach. Thanks, Blake. On the other side of extremes is greenwashing, that is overstating a company's sustainability commitments and trying to hide their negative impacts on the planet. How do you think about greenwashing and ensure that you're not actually contributing to the problem? I think for anyone working in advertising, it's a worry because you're approached by companies with expert marketers who are the best at what they do. And when we're working on a brief to try and communicate something to an audience, we have to really think hard about the message that we're putting across and whether that stands up to scrutiny. So there's a couple of considerations. There's one is a legal consideration. So regulation around the world regarding greenwashing differs. Europe actually earlier this year passed a law, what's called a greenwashing law, that sets standards and criteria for what can and cannot be claimed by brands. I really applaud this law. I'm really happy that regulators are stepping in because it ensures a minimum threshold for the actual credibility of the claim that's being communicated. So there's a legal consideration. And when regulators step in, this is a good thing. You also have, there are organizations that are active in this space within the advertising industry, upholding standards such as green screen productions in the UK or good productions. But the other part is just the ethical framework through which advertising messages are evaluated by agencies and marketers as well. And that's another reason why I was excited to join you on the podcast is I think this is a topic that people in advertising should talk about. I think there needs to be more debate and climate literacy so that when a well-intentioned brief is presented to an agency, that there's enough people in the room on the agency side to actually debate and analyze that brief and ensure that the claims are going to pass scrutiny. So that's difficult because the ad industry has not got a legacy of climate scientists moving into roles in advertising. So I think it's incumbent on the people that are part of the industry today to really educate themselves and ensure that they can evaluate these claims. Blake, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what folks outside of Europe can learn from really your experience communicating about climate change. Europeans lead the world in terms of their concern about climate and their support for climate action. So what have you learned about communicating effectively about climate? I think it's true. In Europe, there's a lot of talk around climate change. I'm a reader of The Guardian, and I think their journalism on climate change is really strong. I think because of this, you have more consumers thinking about climate change. You have voters thinking about climate change. I live in Amsterdam. The mayor of the city here is a member of what's called the Grown Links Party, which means the Green Left Party. She's been the mayor since 2018 and has a very aggressive agenda of climate goals, which is very exciting. The fact that she's voted in by the inhabitants of Amsterdam is a sign that people pay attention to climate. And at the same time, brands have recognized this and companies providing consumer goods are also moving into that space and providing products 
that have sustainability claims. So Oatly, the plant milk brand, is from Sweden. You have Vega, a vegan leather company from Spain. There are a, a lot of consumer goods companies emerging with um, sustainability products. I think that that's exciting for advertising agencies as well, because it means that there are products that they can advertise and promote that are potentially going to make a positive difference. I think it's important then that people in the advertising sector are paying attention to where those innovations occur and playing a role. All of the companies I mentioned, whether it's Oatly, another example would be Ocean Bottle, which is a reusable bottle company from the UK. All of these companies are emerging, are creating sustainable solutions, but they're small and they need to grow. So I guess championing those companies is important. I think making sure that those companies don't feel like a trade down. I think Oatly has incredible communications. Ocean Bottle has great design. Vega has a really great product that created a lot of buzz. I don't know if you know this company, the Spanish like vegan leather shoe company. None of these feel like they are a trade-off, that you're purchasing an inferior product, but that it's sustainable. And I think that's one of the things that I'm passionate about. I'm often reminded of, I remember reading a data point years ago that the average American consumer thinks about toothpaste for eight seconds per month. So there are people <laughs> who spend their whole careers thinking about how to communicate toothpaste. You're fighting for eight seconds of someone's attention. So I think that's a humbling but important thought around, look, people have their own decisions and the vast majority of people want to do the right thing, but they also have their own needs. And I think this is important. So as companies providing solutions that are climate friendly, it's important that those things are never seen as a trade down. Let's think for a second about storytelling, which as you've said, it's a key craft to advertising. And we'll think about it more broadly than just advertising for products. In the US, climate is overly politicized. What advice do you have for us in terms of communicating the importance and urgency of climate action, especially given the divisive politics and really distrust that we have for one another? I think you mentioned what I would argue is potentially the solution in your question, which is leadership through storytelling. People understand their world through stories. They digest information through stories. Business schools use case studies, filmmakers go straight at issues through storytelling. But I think that there's a need for an embrace of nuance. I was a big fan of Al Gore's work around Uncomfortable Truth, where he was articulating a story in a way that I think families could talk around the dinner table. I think that the way that we tell stories has to be inclusive of a really large number of constituents. And this might be a convenient way for me to look at it coming from the advertising industry. But I think that brands and companies, because they have to service their largest addressable audience, play perhaps an interesting role because they have to act in the interest of their shareholders and therefore be available and reachable to everyone. So brands actually have an opportunity to take a nuanced stand in the energy space it's interesting, I mentioned earlier when we talked about the climate pledge, there are pure play renewable energy companies that I think a large number of ad agencies would be very excited to work with. And those companies make a difference. But the largest part of the current and future energy economy is going to continue to come from fossil fuels. And if those companies 
can adjust the way that they act and provide more sustainable solutions, the potential impact is even greater. It's also worth noting that a large portion of the world's population is going to invariably be dependent on less climate-friendly solutions for a long time as they enter the middle class. So again, I think it's meeting people where they are, being able to embrace nuance and find storytelling that includes everyone and doesn't vilify people, I think is important. And brands tend to act that way because they tend to act in their self-interest and, and want to address large numbers of people. So I think that that's, yeah, finding those narratives. I think people get quite exhausted around being told that their personal carbon footprint is a problem and that they have to make sustainable choices. I think this is good, but we need to make sure that we don't exhaust people along the way and we continue to give them the energy that they need to continue to make those good choices. So I think that's where storytelling can and should really play a part. Well, I would definitely second the importance that brands and companies have, especially in a distrusting environment. Here in the United States, employers are actually one of the most trusted sources of information. And so companies absolutely have a lot of influence through what they communicate. Blake, tell us about a dream campaign thinking from a climate perspective. Who's a client that you would love to work with or a project you'd love to work on? Oh man, that's a great question. I think one of the most interesting brand problems in the world is nuclear energy. I think that nuclear energy suffers from an enormous brand problem. It's both a viable solution. It has the ability to massively reduce the carbon output of the energy industry. And it's also something that a huge number of consumers find terrifying and voters are not willing to commit to. I lived in Japan for 10 years and nuclear energy is a very scary concept there. I'm also living in the Netherlands next door to Germany where no one wants to touch nuclear energy. So clearly there are benefits. Here in Europe, we have a nuclear fusion experiment happening in Aix-Provence in France that has incredible potential and a multilateral project that has continued for many decades. I feel like that is a potential. The nuclear fusion project feels like a moonshot. The moonshot had John F. Kennedy, had incredible storytelling, had the support of voters throughout the United States. I think nuclear energy for it to reach its potential also requires similar levels of support. And I'm not a politician, I'm a brand person, but that would be a very exciting project. If we could get the branding right and the understanding right of nuclear energy science, I think that could make a real difference. I'm not in any conversations with any nuclear energy engagements. I think they'd probably think it was pretty weird if Nike's ad agency came to them asking, to, asking if they wanted to work together, but that one would be fun. Yeah, I'm tempted to try to brainstorm in real time with you of some potential taglines for nuclear. It's like, let's go nuclear. It's safe and fun. Or, <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the problems we're going to have to figure out is that word. That word is so loaded. I think we're going to have to find something else, something around nucleus, something around the atom, something. I don't know. We've got to find another part of the science that can tell the story better than nuclear, I think. Well, when fusion is ready, that's a whole other branding opportunity of moving from fission and divisiveness to fusion. Oh, something cool there. There we go. I like what you just did there. Together, we're better. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Blake, a final question is really about the role for all of us. And this comes from looking at the Yale University Program on Climate Change Communications, 
one of the most respected research institutes related to climate change beliefs and communications. They put out a report recently on the vast differences in climate understanding, beliefs, and engagement country by country. One thing that stood out to me is how often Europeans just hear about climate change compared to other places in the world. According to their data, 50 to 70% of people in many European countries, particularly Northern Europe, hear about climate at least once a week in the news, in advertising, or in conversations with others. In the US, it's less than 50%. In Latin America, Africa, and Asia, less than 30% of people hear about climate change weekly. To me, it suggests there's power in simply talking about climate change more. So with that in mind, perhaps we can all be advertisers for climate engagement. What do you think? I agree. I agree. It's interesting. You probably have heard this story before, but in Sweden, they have a word called fleekskam, which means flight shame. The idea that taking a plane on vacation is something you should feel guilty about because of the carbon footprint. So it's even entering language, it's entering popular culture. I think that there are many positives that come from that. It's important to bring everyone along on that journey. So the act of talking is a net positive. The nature of the messaging is also positive. An example, I have a close friend working for a Japanese wind energy company. They set up their European headquarters in the Netherlands 10 years ago because there was such excitement about the onshore wind market in the Netherlands, flat country, very windy, lots of companies flooding here, and a supportive government. Today, there are zero major political parties that support onshore wind in the Netherlands. And it's because community groups had become concerned about the sort of aesthetic impact of having large onshore wind farms. And the market has changed. It's still a, a big offshore wind market, but consumer sentiment shifted and the market shifted. So I think talking about it is valuable. And I'm grateful for the opportunity you've given me today in talking with you. But I think making sure that the stories are inclusive of everyone's ability to act and continue to live a fulfilling life with the choices they have to make is an important part of the puzzle as well. But I'm all for continuing the conversation and playing our part. Blake, thank you so much for your time today and for this really interesting conversation and all the work that you're doing to get climate stories out there. Likewise. Thank you so much, Jason. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.